the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our number two is underway. Thank you so much for joining us on this Tuesday, the fifth morning of the third month of the year of our Lord 2019. Thanks so much for being with us. And as I said at the top of the show, I'll repeat it now. I am swimming in a pool of brilliance. I've had the opportunity two hours apart, actually an hour and a half, 90 minutes apart, to speak with the brilliant Dr. Sebastian Gorka and now the brilliant attorney and commissioner, Peter Kersenow, who I just disconnected when I hit the wrong button. My apologies. <laughs> See, the brilliance is not from me. The brilliance comes from them. Can you guys reconnect Peter Kersenow, please? Uh, because I just dropped him on line number one. Uh, but Peter Kersenow is, of course, a regular guest on Tuesdays, and he's going to join us to talk about a whole host of very important issues, including the Green New Deal and everything that we had just gotten done discussing. Peter Kersenow, uh, are you there, Pete? Can you hear me now? Hello, Bob? Yeah, Pete, you got you, buddy. Okay, thank you. Sorry about yeah. that. I, I slipped and hit the drop instead of the connect button. My apologies. But uh, as I was noting, uh, swimming in a pool of brilliance between yourself and Dr. Gorka, Mr. Kersenow, it's a pleasure to have you. How are you? Well, thanks, Bob. Uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, I, that may apply to Gorka. I'm not sure what kind of pool you're swimming in with me, but uh, nonetheless, hey, just 23 days to opening day. When I was out doing my sprints this morning, I couldn't even imagine hitting a ball with a bat without my, my hands just shivering. It's just incredible. Yeah, that's a painful thought, isn't it? But uh, guess what? They're doing it in Goodyear, Arizona, so they're not. Uh, their hands aren't necessarily in as much jeopardy as yours might be. Um, yeah. All right, Pete. Let's uh, let's dive in here. There's a lot of ground to cover, and I want first of all, again, thank you for coming on, uh, as you always do. Uh, there's a lot of ground to cover here. I want to read a tweet from the President of the United States this morning. I don't have the Hugh Hewitt sounder of tweetily deep date, but you can imagine it if you need to. The President tweeted a couple of hours ago, "Quote: Now that they realize the only collusion with Russia was done by crooked Hillary Clinton and the Democrats." Nadler, Schiff, and the Dem heads of the committees have gone stone-cold crazy. 81 letters sent to innocent people to harass them. They won't get anything done for our country. He then tweeted about an hour after that, quote, The greatest overreach in the history of our country. The Dems are obstructing justice and will not get anything done. A big, fat fishing expedition, desperately in search of a crime, when in fact the real crime is what the Dems are doing and have done. He then went on to join a lot of other people in describing this as McCarthyism. Pete, you heard Michael Cohen last week. You and I spoke, obviously, before that, so I didn't get a chance to get your reaction to what you heard from Michael Cohen and the level of questioning and the reason that they dragged him up there in the first place as the first guest to testify in the new Congress. Um, the Democrats have made this, I think Dr. Corker phrased it this way, get a find the right man and then search for his crime. They have decided Donald Trump has committed crimes. They just now have to hunt them down and find them. That's not how this is supposed to work. It is McCarthyism, and they're going to drag anybody who has ever talked to Donald Trump before them to try to trap them into saying something incriminating to destroy him. How do you see it? I see it as Dr. Gorka, man after my own heart. Uh, I think that quote comes from Leverente Berea. 
And in fact, if you read Target Omega and Second Strike, you'll see him referenced therein because I don't think this is um, McCarthyism as much as it is kind of a Soviet-style um, uh, inquisition where they carpet bomb everybody and the presumption is that you're guilty until proven innocent. I don't, I don't think that they actually believe any of this stuff. I think that what they saw was that the entire Russian investigation has utterly fizzled, as we knew it would be, that the cannons were directed in the wrong direction. If there was any collusion, if there was any wrongdoing, we've seen the copious evidence that it occurred on the other side of the aisle. That is, everything from the fake dossier to the unmasking by the Susan Rices and the Samantha Powers and, you know, the struck in the pages and Rosenstein and McCabe. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And the evidence piles up there and it's completely ignored by both the Democrats and the mainstream media. But again, I repeat myself. So this is an attempt to not just, I think they've gotten beyond relitigating the 2016 election. This is all about the 2020 election and making sure that Trump is frozen in place, is continually besmirched because they know that their faithful allies in CNN and the mainstream media will cover this uncritically. Recall, Bob, and I know you do because you cover it all the time very well. All of the, I've lost track of the bombshells. All of the bombshells that I hear about whenever I'm passing CNN at the airport or elsewhere, it's uh, bombshell central. And yet none of these have gone off. They've discovered all these unexploded bombshells, apparently, as, as you would if you were going through the countryside in Germany, apparently. And nothing has gone off. And Cohen was the biggest fizzle of all. In fact, what was stunning to me about that, Bob, and I didn't watch the entire thing, but I watched enough of it or the replays of, of, of enough of it to marvel at the fact that the Democrats were incredibly ill-prepared because, as attorneys know, there's this old saying about you never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to while somebody's on the witness stand. Yet they kept doing that. And they had a, an audience of millions, and nonetheless, despite the fact that they could be potentially embarrassed by asking a question that they didn't know the answer to, or they suspected the answer was other than what it turned out to be, they continued to ask these questions that completely devastated the entire narrative of Russia collusion. What's most amazing is, and again, uh, I, I, the Democrats is just truly astonishing what they are doing right now. Um, and I say that advisedly because I'm rarely astonished by anything that progressives do. But they're doing something that is antithetical to what the United States of America is all about. And the per perpetrating, I think, with clear knowledge, you look at Adam Schiff, who for two years has been telling us about all the evidence he's seen with respect to collusion, and yet none of it's come out. You know definitively that if he had a scintilla of evidence, he would have broadcast it as soon as he possibly could, yet there's nothing there, and no one has found any evidence yet, yet they continue to pursue this path and think for the last two years, have you heard the Democratic Party propose anything that would advance the interests of the United States of America? It's been all about getting Trump. And to the extent they propose anything, it's sheer lunacy. We get the Green New Deal. We get reparations, Medicare for all, open borders. It goes on and on and on. Nothing realistic. And the effective Speaker of the House right now is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. 
Yeah, she's well, setting she's the agenda. Speaker, she's certainly she is setting the agenda, and she is the speaker of that party. Uh, there's no question about that. Pete, I, I, I want to talk about the president's al. And first of all, you're 100 percent right. By the way, in my opinion, um, in, in their mind. You just asked the question, have they done anything that would advance the interests of the United States people? And and their mind, the answer would be, yes, we're trying to get Trump. Trump is bad for the United States people. We are better. So, therefore, what we are doing is well within uh, the, the keeping with our oath of office of serving the American people. That's how delusional they are. I want to talk, though, about the flip side the president's defenders and whether there are enough of them first of all we have two well there's two stories i want to share or or issues number one the president's own party seems poised today to vote against his national emergency declaration. The senators are going to uh, uh, send this to him uh, as a uh, disavowment of his national uh, emergency and force him to either sign it, thus saying, okay, I was wrong, or veto it, which creates a massive uh, you know, a, a problem and schism within the party. Uh, that's number one. In fact, Mitch McConnell is trying to head that off, saying, Mr. President, look, the votes are there from Republicans to join the Democrats to stop this thing. Don't do this. Don't, don't make us pass this, and then you have to veto it. It's going to be bad for all of us. So there's that side of it. He doesn't have enough defenders in his own party. And then secondly, in the conservative movement, um, David French and the other never-Trumpers who were a big part of trying to stop him uh, in uh, 2016 are back at it again with a new round. And I don't know where your friend Andy McCarthy is on this, um, because he was kind of never-Trump the first time around. In fact, I think he signed on to that massive, scathing rebuke of him in the National Review, the NRO. Um, and, and this time around, I was just reading his Twitter response to uh, President Trump's tweet in which he quoted Sean Hannity about McCarthyism. And he kind of mocked the president, saying, McCarthyism, why McCarthyism? When things, pardon my language here, reading Andy McCarthy's tweet, when things piss me off, I don't go around calling them Trumpisms. Well, maybe sometimes. So is there enough support for the president, both within his party in the Senate, as described, and in the conservative punditry world, where he needs a little bit of pushback against the mainstream media that aims to do him so much harm? Yeah, you know, I think that, I think, first of all, to answer your question, yes, there is considerable support, but that's not to discount the bewildering resistance coming from the quarters where you would expect some support. I hate to repeat this often, but you and I, Bob, were skeptical, to say the least, of Trump uh, during the 2016 primaries. Primaries, right. Right. Um, And I could see at that point where a number of people would be skeptical. He had never really expressed himself as being a conservative, let alone a Republican. And I was a little bit nervous. But, you know, given the alternative, uh, it was a no-brainer. But what we have now is clear-cut evidence that Donald Trump is governing as the most conservative president that we've seen at least since Reagan, and I would posit that he has been more conservative in terms of his government and his, his accomplishments than Reagan was. Yet the folks within the swamp and the folks in the elite conservative media, apparently everything that they've been praying for for the last 30 years has, I don't know if it's been just a a ruse, because he is doing what they've been writing about. It just bewilders me. Now, Andy McCarthy's a little bit different. I think Andy is a very, you know, credible and and uh, um, even-handed observer of the scene, and some things about Trump, you know, may anger him or, or bewilder him, and some things he likes, and I think he's trying to call balls and strikes. 
But you're right that there's a whole cohort of individuals. We saw it with the Weekly Standard, which has folded, and now there are a couple of new um, publications that are rising up in its place. That seems to be the home of Never of Trump, and they are getting a lot more attention and publicity than their numbers, or even their, their importance would suggest they get. Um, what's bothersome is what's going on with respect to the Republicans in the House and Senate. The fact that they would thwart the accomplishments of the president that have clearly been supported by Republican voters is, um, I think it's suicidal, not just from the standpoint of politics, but it, it hurts the country at large. Now, from a policy perspective, you can make a credible argument that the president shouldn't invoke emergency powers for something like this. I disagree with it. I disagree with that argument. But nonetheless, you can make a credible argument. But the bottom line here is that these same folks were not as exercised when Barack Obama was doing this willy-nilly. And this is a function of the one-way liberal ratchet. That is, as Mark Stein has said, Democrats get in and they go for it when they get in power and they move things radically leftward or to the extent they possibly can. Then Republicans get in and they, you know, proclaim that they're holier than thou. They're not going to do the same things as, as Democrats and they sit on their hands or actually fight against their, act, their, their own self-interest. But more importantly, the interests of the American people. I think you've got to be, the president should be, and I think he was, very deliberate in deciding whether or not to invoke the emergency powers. I don't think he did it willy-nilly, but given the true crisis at the border, and there is one, simply because something has been a crisis for 15, 20 years doesn't mean it's no longer a crisis. It's been ongoing, and no one has addressed it because, frankly... Both sides of the aisle have interests in support of open borders. The American people want a border wall. The American people want national sovereignty, but the elites, not so much. Peter Kirsten now breaking it down for us. Pete, I'm going to take a time out here. It's 1022. We're going to check our traffic. And on the other side of that, I want to talk more uh, about the president and what his path forward will be if this thing goes through, if this, uh, if he has to slap a veto on it, where this goes. And I also want to get into um, more on the um, president's bad side of his ledger, if you will, because while we continue to support him and his uh, defense of our border and a securing of our border through whatever means necessary, including this emergency fight, he is calling for massive increases in the level of legal immigrants, which is going to create a lot of problems and competition for jobs with uh, people who are already here and American citizens. So there's good and there's bad to be discussed as we continue with Peter Kersenow right here on AM 1420. The answer back after this. 1027 out of Bob France Authority continues. AM 1420, the answer with Peter Kersenow. And uh, Peter, short segment here, so uh, we're just going to follow up on what we just discussed. If the president is forced to veto this uh, vote uh, by the uh, by the Senate, which is going to essentially uh, negate his, his national emergency, and it's going to be done with the support, obviously, as we discussed, Republicans, at least 10 Republican senators, um, is that in his best interest? Should he veto it and fight them and see, you know, dare them to override the veto and let this thing continue through months and months and months of litigation in the courts? Or should he accept their, uh, their decision and pursue the funding for the wall in another way? I think you should do both, Bob. I think that you should have a, a fallback plan, but I think he should veto. I think he needs to fight 
I think he needs to fight hard, and we've got a president who, for the first time in my lifetime, fights and doesn't fold, and he needs to fight sometimes with the uh, weak sisters in his own party and tell them exactly what the American people expect of them. And I would hope that the American people, on their own volition, would tell them what they expect of them. But I don't think this is one where you simply act like the diplomat that a lot of Republicans always like to act like, and then they act like a diplomat, and the Democrats come in and act like barbarians, and they get what they want. And then it's, again, as I said, as Mark Stein has said very well, the one-way liberal ratchet. It keeps moving leftward. We're just holding serve. So I, I think that after having vetoed it, if for whatever reason, I doubt that they could override it, but if they could, I think he needs to pursue alternate funding strategies. This was his signature campaign promise, but more importantly, it is one of the most important issues. It is, at least for the moment, the most important issue that America is facing. We need to secure the southern border for all the reasons the president mentioned, simply because CNN tells us there's no crisis. Frankly, I think most of your listeners have already a long time ago concluded that if CNN says something, believe the opposite is true. That's a very sad position we're in today, and I don't say that casually, but I almost automatically assume that what CNN is telling me is the Democratic Party line with, and, and I don't mean to besmirch ordinary Democrats at all, but the leadership of the Democratic Party line, and it's going to be false. It's only in their political interest to say certain things, not in the interests, the substantive interests of the United States of America. So I say fight, 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 fight. Peter Kirsten out with us. He's got one more segment for us, and that's a good thing, because on the other side of the news, we're going to talk about AOC and the GND, the Green New Deal, the insanity uh, that has sparked it, and the dishonesty that is pushing it. We'll talk more about that with Peter Kirsten out after this on AM 1420 The End. Ten years. That's all we have left. Ten years, according to the United Nations. I read this story before you, for you before. Ten years, the UN says, we have before the face of the planet will be changed. Literally, entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by the rising sea levels if global warming and carbon emissions are not halted within the next decade. Coastal flooding and crop failures will create an exodus of eco-refugees threatening political chaos. We have a 10-year window of opportunity to solve this before it goes beyond human control. That's what the United States has told us. Let's get reaction now from Peter Kersenow. And, Pete, it sounds to me like, based on what the United Nations says, we had better be listening to Alexandria Kelly-Bundio-Cortez uh, and her <laughs> Green New Deal, because it's all coming apart inside of a decade, Pete. Um, and there's no stopping it unless we change fundamentally how we and the entire rest of the world um, uh, produces energy and uses energy. What say you? Yeah, this is one of the great frauds uh, that's been going on for at least 50 years. Uh, those of us who oh, are oh, 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 wait, you know, Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a good point. I forgot to tell you. What I just read to you was written in 1989. Yeah, and that's even late. 
because years ago. This actually started nearly 50 years ago. Oh, by the way, I should say this because I always neglect to do it. Um, I'll be speaking tonight uh, before the West Short Republicans at uh, Fairview Park City Hall at 7 o'clock for all those who are out in that area or elsewhere. Come on in and uh, join us. We're going to be having a good time talking about some of the same things Bob and I discuss all the time. But getting back to this, Bob, uh, back in 1970, um, at least 1970, they began the global warming, and by they I mean the left, and the international left began the global warming scare, and it was coupled with the population scare. Many of you may remember out in the listening audience Paul Ehrlich's book, The Population Bomb. We were compelled to read it when I was in high school, and the, the thesis of it was that because of the increasing population and the use of resources throughout the world, millions were going to die almost imminently, and there was going to be just cataclysmic climatic changes. And we only had a short period of time in which to get ourselves in order, otherwise all is lost. In fact, back in 1970, Paul Ehrlich said that at least 200 million people per year would be starving beginning in 1980, nine years before the report you just read. So this has been going on. This has been a scam for quite some time. I'm not here to say that there isn't any kind of climate change. Those of us of a certain age, again, used to call it weather. I'm sure that there's climate change. Whether or not there's anthropomorphic climate change, I'm willing to accept that there might be. But there is no extant evidence that any of this stuff is catastrophic or that it is imminent or all of the the predictions that the great scientists like Alexander Ocasio-Cortez are predicting will work. But what we do know is the left has been harping on this for a very long time in an effort to persuade us to reorder our government, reorder our industry, reorder our lives in a fashion that they approve of. But all the, go back to Al Gore. Remember the inconvenient truth of 2006? All of the predictions they make were laughable because they were going to occur imminently. It, it, it was just, you know, something that needed to be addressed right now. Time is running out. If we don't do it, all is lost. But Al Gore in 2006, with Inconvenient Truth and his speeches, was saying that the east coast of the United States was going to be swamped by the melting icebergs in Greenland and the polar ice cap. And, you know, you better move out of there. We need to do something now. We only had, uh, I think at that point in 2006, I think he said we only at nine years or ten years, well, we were beyond that. His predictions just a little off, just a little off. It seems and like then every remember, ten years, there's a new alarmist who says the same thing. We've got ten years. We've got ten years. We've got ten years. It was in 1980. They did it in 1989. You mentioned Gore did it in 2006, and that's what they continue. And now here's Alexandria Kelly Bundio Cortez saying, "We've got twelve <laughs> years. We're all going to be dead in twelve years." Is what she said. If we don't stop this, yeah. And I remember definitively because I was in Washington, D.C. at the time on the National Labor Relations Board, when NBC came out breathlessly, they had this hysterical news report, 2007, that by 2015, parts of Manhattan and Florida would be underwater. Here's the interesting thing, as someone noted, and I saw this written a couple of days ago by somebody. I forgot who it was, otherwise I'd give him credit. But um, that person noted that even though NBC had made this hysterical prediction that Manhattan was going to be swamped, they didn't take any action to move their headquarters. Their headquarters <laughs> was going to be swamped. 
you would think that if they wanted us to completely reorder our economy and all kinds of yeah. cataclysms were going to occur, maybe they would have, you know, maybe moved a little bit further inland. No, nobody did anything like that. And everyone talks about very often and very appropriately how Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and none of the climate hysterics change any of their lifestyles or patterns. If you truly believed the world was going to end in 10 to 12 years, you would be doing everything you could, even on an individual basis, to make sure that that didn't happen. But nobody acts like it because they don't believe it. It's propaganda. And again, uh, I think that as uh, intelligent, reasonable people, we should always be alert to any kind of changes that might occur, especially if we've got some control over those changes. But by the same token, you have to have some scientific credibility to them. And these repeated instances of crying wolf actually, I think, inure the public to any real concerns that there may be. But nonetheless, you know, you, you're James Hansen, who is a NASA scientist who said that the, the um, uh, world, I think it was back right around when that report you just referenced uh, that I'm not familiar with, but it was right around 1988, 1989, James Hansen said the Earth was going to be nine degrees warmer on average by right around now, 2020. Nine degrees warmer. Didn't happen. Virtually every single one of their predictions do not stand the test of time and, in fact, look ludicrous on reflection. The uh, the report I was, uh, this was an AP story about the UNEP, which is the uh, United Nations Environmental Program. This was their model and their prediction, and here's what they said, that the Earth's temperature would rise 1 to 7 degrees in the next 30 years. So this is now. This is 30 years later. The difference might seem slight, uh, said the uh, director of UNEP, but the planet is only 9 degrees warmer now than it was during the 8,000-year ice age that ended 10,000 years ago. So we were going to warm by the same amount, roughly, that we warmed, that the planet warmed from 10,000 years ago until today. And according to climate government data, we are less than one degree above normal than we were in 1989. Less. Yeah, well, you know, I think the reason for that is because there were probably a lot more of those Fred Flintstone cars around back then to increase the warmth. <laughs> yeah. uh, General Motors really needs cow, to get the cars, model. Uh, uh, passing gas, or uh, cows passing gas, apparently. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. But yeah, and remember now, we've got, uh, now we've got, we're overrun by poor polar bears. Remember all these these videos we were exposed to where polar bears were forlorn polar bears on these little ice flows, you know, the ice Cover was melting, polar bear... And now they're overrun. The, the Inuit population is, is asking for help. They're all over the place. So all you have to do is wait just a short period of time and watch the next prediction go down the toilet. Pete, let me uh, ask you this then. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go back to politics to wrap this up before you go. Um, how and why, based on everything that you just said, which is so commonsensible and easily proven, and everything that I have pointed out from this ridiculous article to where we are today, and, and we've seen time and time and time again the climate change hysterics all being proven wrong every 10 years as they continue to lay it out. Why is literally every Democrat candidate for president embracing this as the core of their uh, of their campaign? And I'm talking about people from uh, uh, Kamala Harris, who is saying, oh, who cares about the cost of the Green New Deal? This is an investment in saving the planet. To Booker, to Gillibrand, to Warren, to who's this, uh, the Washington governor, uh, Inslee, who just Inslee, declared right. his candidacy last week? And it's a climate change candidacy. This is what he said. This is the centerpiece of my campaign. All of this stuff is so easily disproven, Pete, and yet all of them are running on it. 
how can they see value in that? I mean, you you said it yourself that the people know better. The vast majority of people know better, but yet they're counting on being able to to sell them on this uh, on this phony notion that we've got a decade to to stop the planet from dying. Well, the good news for the left is that you always have a, another subset of gullible people coming down the pike. You know, and we have more and more of them today. When you look at Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, who've gone through a K through 12 and college educational system where this stuff is promoted on a regular basis, and it's done for a very simple reason, because in most cases, the vast majority of people, whether it's the American people or otherwise, would not sign on to the kind of draconian changes to their lifestyle, to their governance, to their industries, um, if things were just normal. They try to promote this type of hysteria um, in order to justify greater government control over our lives, that is, more socialism. Uh, this is something that has been going on for, frankly, 90 years, maybe more than that, um, in other countries as well. And sometimes it's a coordinated effort, no grand worldwide conspiracy, I'm, uh, I'm suggesting, but there is you know, an understanding among certain elites and certain of those who want to push the governance of various countries in one direction, that, boy, we've got to, we've got to really get the, the natives restless. We've got to get them all excited. Otherwise, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to spend $93 trillion to stop cows from farting. Uh, the, it's simply an implausible prospect for us to do those things unless the world was about to end. So they do have new... Um, uh, individuals coming out, coming down the pike, reaching voting age, who have been indoctrinated into this. You know, the old thing about if uh, you're not a liberal at the age of 19, you have no heart, and not a conservative by the age of 39, you have no head. It takes a while to unlearn and disabuse yourself of all the lunacy that you've learned, unfortunately, K through 12. Um, you know, we could go on and on and on about this, Bob. It's a real problem. And, um, you know, we need to address it. But uh, if you're on this earth for longer than, say, 19 or 20 years and you still believe this stuff and you've had your eyes open, then you really need to recheck yourself. Maybe look at some alternate media. Don't be fixated on CNN. Uh, so I, I do think, though, that to answer your question, long-winded, it's a systemic effort on the part of the left. It's been historic. They've done it for a long time. And I think that we're going to see more and more of this. The lunacy that the left is perpetuating right now is truly astonishing, as I indicated at the outset. Medicare for all, Green New Deal, reparations, open borders. There's not enough, truly, there is not enough wealth in the entire world to finance these things. That in and of itself, should be a non-starter. But not for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She just goes no. merrily on her way. And meanwhile, uh, you know, not practicing anywhere near what she preaches. You know, it was noted that she got out of, she got, uh, after a meeting yesterday, she, or maybe it was on Sunday or whatever it was, uh, there's the subway is a block away. Mass transit? Nope. She opts in an Uber, using that internal combustion engine and taking her and, and leaving a much bigger footprint. It's just like all of them, including Bernie Sanders, screaming about this, living in three different homes with mass 
massive, massive energy usage and, and carbon uh, output. Uh, the, all of those uh, liberals who fly from one climate uh, uh, climate meeting to another on their private jets rather than going commercial and conserving, they all say but never do. And that is, well, uh, that's that's why they're Democrats, I suppose. Peter Kersenow, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for the great analysis. I'm looking forward to talking to you tomorrow as we take your uh, brilliance to the national stage again on the We'll have fun. Thanks very much, Bob. Thank you, my friend. Peter Kersenow. Oh, by the way, I should point out, Peter Kersenow is going to be um, appearing tonight and speaking at the West Shore Republican meeting. I forgot about this. uh, At the Fairview Park City Hall at 7 p.m. So if you've ever wanted to listen to Pete speak in person, first of all, he's awesome. Uh, but if you ever wanted to, uh, tonight's a great opportunity. He'll be at uh, Fairview Park City Hall at 7 p.m. Great opportunity to hear him. All right, let me get a time out here. We'll check our traffic and come right back with the final segment on AM 1420. Final segment of this Tuesday edition of the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again for uh, being with us. Thanks to my guest, Peter Kersenow. Outstanding. If you've uh, been with me since early this morning when I did the Hugh Hewitt Show, thank you for your perseverance. Uh, I'll be back on for Hugh again tomorrow doing the five-hour France-a-thon and looking forward to having you aboard for that as well. I mentioned um, uh, the hypocrisy, by the way, of Cortez, uh, Kelly Bundio Cortez. Uh, here's an example of it. She was talking with... Um, I can't remember the interview here, so my apologies for that. It doesn't matter. I do like to give attribution, but she was talking about how uh, she doesn't have to practice what she preaches because by being forced into doing things that she doesn't want to do, such as taking cars and using plastic bags, it gives her more of a platform to talk about those things or something like that. Listen to this lunatic. I can be upset that I get 10 plastic bags at the grocery store and then have to toss out my plastic bags because the recycling program in the area is tough and that's okay. We, All of these are not reasons to stop fighting. All of these are reasons to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. And these are all reasons and pieces of evidence to say, hey, we need to make it easier to recycle. I, I, I'm trying my best to follow that, failing miserably, by the way. What does she mean? I can be really upset about getting 10 plastic bags at the grocery store and then not being able to recycle them. I can be upset that I get 10 plastic bags at the grocery store and then have to toss out my plastic bags because the recycling program in the area is tough. Now, I'm just going to ask this mental midget, this bartender who probably still had to look at the drink mix charts um, after five years on the job because she couldn't remember them. Why do you have to take 10 plastic bags again? Are you not aware of these things called burlap sacks, cloth bags? Do you know how many people who are truly committed to recycling go to grocery stores with their own bags so that they can take their groceries out and not have to take the plastic bags? And then, as you say, since there's the recycling program in your area is tough, you have to toss them and throw them away, contributing to the problem of the overfilled landfills? And leading to more pollution with plastic bags finding their way into the ocean? You're telling me that with your degree in economics from Boston University and your degree in recycling and biodegradables 
and your brilliance and your expertise in all of these things, you're stuck getting plastic bags? This girl does not have two IQ points to rub together. She is literally, comically stupid. I mean airheaded. I mean bubble-brained. I mean any insult you can think of to present somebody as stupid. This girl does it. My friend Will from Houston, Texas, where they know about things like stampedes, calls her a stampede of stupid. And yes, I think it applies. And she is setting the pace for the Democrat Party. She's setting the pace. Kirsten Gillibrand, one of the candidates for president, is bragging about how she can get the Green New Deal passed with bipartisan support. Kamala Harris, candidate for president, she says, don't worry about the cost. This is an investment we must make in AOC's Green New Deal. This idiot is a cartoon character. She's a sitcom character like Kelly Bundy, but the dumb version. Think about that. Christian calling us from Menor on AM 1420, The Answer. Christian, good morning. Uh, Yes, good morning, Rob. Yes, sir, go right ahead. Yes. Okay, so one thing, you know, most liberal socialists believe in evolution versus creation. Okay? Therefore, I see the Earth evolving in front of our eyes. Uh, This global warming that they call it, let's just say it's evolving. Let's get out of the way and let it happen. Why stop something that's going on naturally? Uh, Three billion years ago, according to them, we were on a fireball. You you know, and that's what they say. So um, 10,000 years ago, there's a mile of ice over our heads right here, right where we live, northeast Ohio. That's right. 5,000 feet of ice. Okay. Um, And somehow it melted. That's my, yeah, you know, another thing, um, you know, just being facetious. Do vegetarians flatulate more than, um, you know, <laughs> carnivores? I'm just saying, let's let's ban vegetarianism, okay? I well, do one think would there's think something that they to look do at right if, there. Think about it. Think yes, about indeed. it. indeed. And because I what think do cows eat? Look into this. Cows are, yes, cows exactly. are vegetarians. They eat grass. You got it. And they, we need to and ban vegetarians. Eat. I'm telling you now, man. That's right. Vegans okay. are responsible for more carbon emissions in the air by way of methane cow or methane flatulence than uh, than carnivores and meat eaters. So if you wanna if you wanna help the environment, you wanna help the planet, eat meat. It'll make you pass less gas, and you won't be as uh, as uh, carbon uh, uh, negative, if you will, uh, or actually it'd be the other way around, carbon positive in terms of your spewing of carbon emissions into the air as those vegans would. David and Lakewood. You're on the air. Go ahead, David. Hello. Uh, I I was a Democrat all my life till about 20 years ago, and then I wised up, and I, I've been a Republican ever since. However, when I see what these higher-ups on the Republican Party are doing to President Trump, as well as how they're insulting the Republican voters, I'm thinking from now on, maybe I should vote independent. They sicken me. Yeah, they sickened me too. Um, and, and you know, a lot of people feel that way. And I have, you know, tossed those kinds of things around in my head as well, David. But I, if I can talk you off the ledge from that, um, and I'm not saying vote, vote blindly Republican. 
I'm not saying if there's a Republican who is absolutely, you know, liberal and anti-conservative uh, policies, and if they're pro-abortion and like some of them are, people like Jeff Flake and other. I'm not saying vote for all, but but generally speaking, don't give in to the temptation to go independent because when you do, you essentially wipe out some of the base that can stop Democrats. Think of voting for certain Republicans as a vote not for that Republican, but a vote against that Democrat. Uh, it's how so many people helped get Donald Trump elected. There are a lot of conservatives who held their breath. They did not like Donald Trump. They didn't believe him to be a true conservative, but they knew they had to stop Hillary Clinton. They had to build that wall between Hillary Clinton and the White House. The president talked about uh, build a wall or the candidate then. Build the wall brick by brick to stop Hillary Clinton from accessing the Oval Office. Every vote is a brick to stop a Democrat. Every vote for a Republican is a a brick to stop a Democrat. That, to me, should be our goal. Why? Because the Democrats are flat-out evil for the future of this country. They are pods. Do not look at Democrats as anything other than pods. And by pods, we mean they represent the party of death. The party of death has been embraced. Or rather, death has been embraced by the party. So, so to me, a vote for a Republican, even if he is not going to be necessarily supportive of everything that I support, including our president, it's a vote to stop a pod, and that is important. Thanks again, everybody, for being a part of the show today. If you joined us uh, late or if you were with me for the better part of five hours after I did Hugh Hewitt, I really appreciate that. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher's coming up next. I'll be on for Hugh again tomorrow morning starting at 6 a.m. and concluding right here on the Bob France Authority. We will see you then. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.